Welcome to Things Musicians Don't Talk About with me, Hattie Butterworth. I am a cellist and writer recently graduated from the Royal College of Music in London. I'm on a journey to change the way musicians see vulnerability. In the classical music profession, it can often feel very difficult to talk about issues that affect us personally, such as mental health, injury, financial issues, race, gender and class, to name but a few. I believe that through connecting with other musicians about these issues, we can bring humanity into our music, understanding how ultimately the darkness we face makes us who we are and that we are not alone. Join me in guests as we have honest conversations about the things musicians don't talk about. Hello, everybody. I'm really excited to be sharing a new episode with you. Um, I hope you all had a lovely Easter. I had a bit of a break and a bit of a retreat. And it's, you know, it's lovely to be back with editing some podcasts um, and planning some future ones. And I'm really enjoying the whole process. The reason my sound is currently a bit rubbish is because I am up in Scotland visiting my parents and I didn't bring my microphone with me. Um, So I'm actually using my headphones to record this, which is why it's really probably quite awful. But um, yeah, sorry about that. The actual interview should have much better quality. Today I'm talking to Matt Frost, who is a percussionist and more more importantly, and more at the forefront of his current life, is that he is training to become an audiologist and working during his training at the Harley Street Hearing Centre. Um, Matt is such an inspiring person and musician. He found out he had a hearing loss at the age of 17 and has since navigated the music world as a musician with a hearing problem. He brings so much of his own experience as well as a lot of knowledge he's acquired through his training. And we talk so much about being a musician with hearing loss, but also how you can best protect your hearing and other people's hearing, the stigma around, you know, hearing protection and how it's kind of portrayed as something incredibly dull and incredibly, you know, not helpful but Matt talks about this and he also talks about um, the wonderful Musicians Hearing Health Scheme which has been run in conjunction with Help Musicians UK to provide musicians with hearing tests and um, hearing protection at a very discounted price. So Matt talks about this and how you can get involved if you want to Um, but we also talk about his shift from becoming a percussionist to being an audiologist and why he made this decision what the decision looked like and also you know how it can feel to have a change of heart a change of move um, from being really at the forefront of the music profession to being maybe something more on the sidelines or something completely different and how that felt and yeah why that is not something to be ashamed of but something to celebrate um, so thank you so much to Matt, and I really hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Matt. It's so lovely to be talking to you today. How are you doing? I'm very well. How are you, Hattie? I am super well. I was Good. so excited to get your message to oh, no, talk about you. this today. 
Um, it just, you know, as I said to you before we started, it's there's only so many kind of things I can come up with on my own about things musicians need to talk about. Um, <laughs> and at, what you were able to do by getting in touch is just something that I would urge anyone to do who thinks they have a story to share or, or feels frustrated in the industry. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And so it's just like so, so great that we can broaden the conversation because I'm always surprised the new things that crop up that I hadn't yeah. thought about and that yeah. still need talking about. So there's, thank you. there's always a wealth of things that musicians aren't talking about, which is what this podcast is for. So that's fantastic. I would absolutely love for you, first of all, as I usually ask at the start, if you could give us a sort of overview just of your general background whatever you'd like to share about who you are and what where you come from and your musical journey until now yeah of course um so i was born and raised in birmingham and uh, kind of i started playing drums and percussion and all sorts of other kind of you know did play piano and sang in choirs and that sort of stuff but i've i've done that from a very very early age and kind of going through education um music was was my big passion you know it was I was always that guy who everyone would cringe in the school assembly when oh no Matt's doing another performance oh no you know so, uh, so absolutely music was always my passion growing up and I decided to go rather than going down a kind of uh, academic university route for for music I decided to pursue performance as an undergraduate and I went to the Guildhall School of Music and Drama on an orchestral percussion course there undergraduate course there and I second studied in drum kit um, and during that during my degree I did my dissertation in my third year so that's my the penultimate year of the course I did that on hearing loss amongst aspiring musicians and that was mostly born out of my personal journey with hearing loss um, you know, I was diagnosed with higher frequency hearing loss uh, and prescribed with hearing aids when I was 17. So kind of growing up uh, and preparing for music college auditions kind of on the border of this. How do I identify as a musician with hearing loss? Uh, that was all going on at the time. So it's that. So my dissertation was born out of that uh, personal journey, but also out of the fact that I was becoming more and more aware that it wasn't something that was being talked about or discussed. And, you know, for many of my, my friends and peers at, at university, I was probably one of the first musicians they'd come across who wore hearing aids or was consciously trying to protect their hearing, you know, that sort of stuff. So I finished my degree um, and, you know, over a course of a journey, really, I, that summer I graduated and I started working for uh, an audiological practice called Harley Street Hearing. I worked there as a practice assistant, um, so ad administrative assistant, you know, doing all sorts of things around the clinic, handling patient queries, dealing with hearing aids, you know, custom ear protection, that sort of stuff. And um, I'm really blessed and really lucky to be to have started my audiological training so I'm I didn't think I'd be doing another undergraduate so soon after <laughs> finishing my first but um but yeah so Harley Street Hearing are supporting me um through a kind of a part-time online distance learning course which is obviously uh a good thing in the middle of a pandemic <laughs> has mm. been able to go ahead uh which is great but I've started my audiological training in, in January 2021 so training to be an audiologist at the that point in time so how to sum up 24 years in about three sentences but <laughs> I was yeah, just about to say a brief journey. 
you yeah you explained that incredibly succinctly I'm sort of like wow (laughs) your whole journey is just like amazing and I have so many so many so many questions it's like unbelievable the first one being that you say that musicians don't really talk about hearing loss which I think is true but I think if I have heard musicians talk about it it is often the percussionists or the people that play drums who you would either assume might suffer from it or who have maybe spoken about it more is that your experience or even within like the percussion world where maybe there is slightly more perhaps I'm just sort of (laughs) thinking of Evelyn Glennie really who is like yeah of course you know she is she is the big dog yeah the the big name she's fantastic now I was lucky enough to interview her for for my dissertation She's, she's absolutely fantastic um yeah, so, you have I mean, to share that with us. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure I will. I'm sure I will. Um, there, there is a stigma around around percussionists and and um, you know, oh, you're a drummer. You've had hearing loss coming for you since you started, kind of thing. Um, but it, it it manifests itself in so many different ways. You know, first person that comes to mind, one of my friends, uh, a guy called Tobias on my course. He's been in he born in Sweden and lives in Sweden now after graduating and has always been involved in kind of uh, marching band stuff, changing the guards. He's part of the Navy band, Swedish Navy band out there. And he has just been exposed to so much noise for the entirety of his life because that's what his passion is. That's what he's done. Mm-hmm. And yet he doesn't have a hearing loss. And yet I do. So, you know, there is this contrasting world of how hearing loss manifests and it can affect any person and hearing does naturally deteriorate as we go on with age, mm. you know, and I'm sure we'll go into more detail uh, throughout the podcast of kind of essentially why musicians need to be thinking about this a little bit more because we are surrounded by noise to a greater extent than those in general society. And that does come with an additional risk as well. So mm. um, there, the, Hearing loss will affect anyone in the orchestra, but yeah, absolutely. There is so much kind of jokes and but the jokes about percussionists being yeah. the guys, <laughs> guys with hearing loss at the back of the orchestra. Um, I've got a, I'll tell you a quick story now so as well. So it was the first week of my university course and, you know, everyone's excited and getting to know each other. And we had our first tutti when brass and percussion kind of get to know each other rehearsal sort of thing. And there was this, what I can now, what I now know, this was a guy coming in to conduct the ensemble and he was kind of on trial uh, from what I could understand with the university. And anyway, so classic thing with, <laughs> with speech, with hearing loss is that you can sometimes struggle with speech discrimination. So obviously when in a score music, score of music, and it goes, right, let's go from figure C. Now I at the back might not at that point of time heard whether or not it was B or D or E, all those sorts of things, you know. So um, I stuck my hand up, you know, being a keen bean, and <laughs> and said, "Oh, sorry, what figure was that?" And uh, this guy at the front who was conducting, who was obviously really stressed out, he was on trial, he was trying to go for a job, and he said, "What are you deaf?" <laughs> and I, I just said yes across the orchestra to like this chorus of oohs and ahs and titters and sniggles. But I just think. That for me, whilst it is an, I can go, I can go back and laugh about that now. Yeah. That, that is so funny. But there is a stigma around hearing loss, and it is so easy to just assume that a musician is able to hear everything instantly. Yeah, you know, and so that that was just. <laughs> 
yeah are you deaf um yes I taught him a yes, lesson I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it, the surprise came with the fact that I did actually as a you know plucky first year in the first week actually have something to say uh, <laughs> yeah totally oh yeah. that's ah oh, that's just like because I I don't know if you're in an orchestra setting yeah you can just imagine that kind of joke being thrown around and like no one thinking anything of it but it's like yeah you just put that into context for people yeah for for me because I, I was obviously quite new with with hearing aids but I but I'd worn them for a couple of years at that point mm. so I got diagnosed in lower sixth and then had worn them for 18 months and went to music college as kind of a I know I've got an identity as a musician with hearing loss so for me, I wasn't too taken aback by that. Obviously, I was stressed. <laughs> no one expects that kind of comment to come across the orchestra. But for what is the alarming thing, and this is where I think hearing loss in a more general idea, I'm assuming, you know, most musicians would have had the kind of response where that could have really shaken them. You know, if this is someone who hasn't, has just had a hearing test and has just realised that they've got uh, a hearing loss that they are now trying to reconcile with and they're now questioning you know oh well how is this going to affect me and my life as a musician that comment from someone who was just stressed and just wasn't probably thinking very clearly would have really really affected someone with a fresh diagnosis and that could have mm -hmm. really shaken them so so yeah sorry going straight into the details there <laughs> no that's that's just yeah, it just shows how kind of easy it is to make it into Absolutely. a joke. But I'd, I'd yeah. really like now to go back to the moment where you started noticing a problem with your hearing. And mm. I, I mean, explain it to us. Was it to do, do you think, with being a percussionist? Is that how it arose or was it something that was deteriorating and you think would have happened anyway? Can you just explain sort of the yeah, how you course, figured out? So the the key thing to mention is that with hearing loss, um, the person with the hearing loss is often the last person to realise. So you're you're the only person with your ears. It's just like, you know, if if you were never to know that your sight could be fixed with glasses, even though you constantly see the world, either you're colourblind or you constantly have problems with long distance vision. It, if it wasn't for the general knowledge about glasses and being able to adapt your world to bring yourself to normal vision, you wouldn't know exactly the same with hearing loss if you were hearing something as everyone else does or if you were hearing the world differently. So for me, I had no idea I had a hearing loss until it was noticed by my, my music teacher at, at school, um, who I'm deeply, you know, really fantastic guy but um ultimately i was doing an a-level practice paper it was our listening test and the question comes up which percussion instrument can you hear in this extract and i'm thinking fantastic this is my kind of question easy marks easy marks i was the only person in my entire cohort of music a-level students to not hear that there was a triangle playing in the excerpt and it was at that point that my music teacher said Matt, I, you should be hearing that. We need to, I advise you to go and get your own hearing tested. So at the age of 17, I went for a hearing test. And, you know, I think at first, particularly as, a, as, a, as an aspiring musician, I was incredibly daunted by this new, new realisation that 
I had a hearing loss. It was something that you know, hearing loss is, it, it, once it becomes permanent, it isn't something that we can get back, which is why obviously awareness about protecting your hearing, particularly as a musician, when we use sound as our communication with our audiences and with each other, it's why it's so important to protect our hearing whilst we've got it, basically. So, yeah, diagnosed at 17. And I, I really struggled at first with that initial initial assessment. And I'm sure many musicians who have faced similar issues would say the same. For me personally, I grew my hair out, for instance, so that people weren't as aware of the fact I was wearing hearing aids behind my ears. I you know, always tried to practice on my own where it was possible so that I could make sure that I was my hearing aids weren't squeaking in the background all of these things that now to me are not a concern because I'm used to wearing hearing aids and I'm used to having that kind of um identity were all things I really struggled with at first and I think it was the main the main thing that struck me at that time when I was first noticing that that hearing loss was taking on board the concerns of others all lovely loving people like my family you know teachers and supporters and, and friends and whoever else but it was things like oh it's such a shame you'll never quite be able to hear as clearly as you used to mm. you know sentences like that where you're like Am I, do I now need to question everything that I've wanted to do? I've poured all of myself into just my love of playing. And all of a sudden, other people, even if I didn't believe that was the case, even if I knew within myself, as I did at the age of 17, that if I worked hard, regardless of my circumstances, I would be able to achieve what I wanted to. Mm. That was the, that was what drove me forward, I think, in, in moments of where I was really struggling with this idea of coming up with a new identity. Um, but it was taking on other people's concerns that, that was basically just a stigma, just other people yeah. um, holding on to a stigma from the industry and from general society that people with hearing loss are, people with hearing loss, sorry, are almost carry this identity as, as damaged Mm. or you know just just unable to fulfill their full potential and that was what struck me the most so I mean that's obviously the negative aspects of it but I, I mean I wanted in line with this question to kind of draw a positive from it as well and I think on reflection you know looking back at my degree and then and now my work with musicians who are also concerned about their hearing having a hearing loss of my own has not only helped me to be, um, what's the word I'm looking for? N, uh, empathetic. Oh, blimey. Empathetic. Thank you. Has <laughs> helped me to, yeah, thank you so much. Well, like, um, but has not only helped me to be empathetic, but also in having lost some of my hearing, I do fundamentally believe that it has led me to a point of being able to listen more deeply. Mm to the concerns of others and you know it's 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 obviously a really privileged and touching place to be that you know whether it's friends or other musicians or, or even just general members of the public who you know are concerned about their hearing or have been advised to come for xyz you know for whether it's on the phone or in person for someone to just say to you i'm voicing my concerns here for the first time 
and I don't know what to make of it. Can you help me? So I do think that even though the journey initially, particularly initially over those first few years and over those, you know, identifying as a, an undergraduate musician as well, going through a college degree who was deaf and used hearing aids, um, that ability to listen is something that has quite simply guided me in my career I think at, at this point in time and will continue I will continue to try and develop because I've realized how life-changing that can be because I know if I'd had someone at the age of 17 to turn around and go to and just ask their opinions on a personal level it would have made a huge difference in those early years so yeah I think it's it's a really privileged place to be and mm. I want to use my experience to to help others really <laughs> that's that's what it boils down mm. to and I think talking to us today you're already helping so many people just by being somebody you know a young person who has been through so much already with it but is deciding and has decided to turn all this adversity into something so positive and so you know I just what you say and what I've just been thinking the whole time when you're talking about um you know the reactions of of the stigma of your family and the stigma of people sort of saying oh you'll never quite you'll never quite make it or you'll never quite be you know what we hoped Mm. or you know as and I just it reminds me so much of you know struggles I've had with I talk so much about my mental health because it is an ongoing problem Mm. and Mm. it's exactly the same things reactions I've had from people you know sort of saying like oh you know where have you gone you know we really miss the happy person you know where's she gone you know it's kind of it, it reminds me of that and it makes you feel like in this moment you're you're not accepted for for the person you are and that you're not believed to be capable. Yeah. Yeah. And it's that, that joint, I think for any musician who is worried about their hearing and obviously exactly what you've mentioned there, Hattie, Mm. so personally, it's, it's okay to have days where you don't feel okay. And it's okay to have days where you feel like, yeah, okay, I've got this. I'm going to practice really hard today. And this is what I'm going to do about it and X, Y, Z. But then there are just days where you're like, do you know what? I, I just need to take some time for me today. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that, that manifests itself in all all forms. And, and hearing loss is no, it's no different. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's just, I just, you know, the, the thing you say about, you know, wanting to be empathetic and everything. And I think I'm just interested, and I want to go on to talk about your journey into audiology. Mm. But just just before we start that, I'm wondering how many audiologists have hearing loss? Is that something that is a typical thing for people with hearing loss to go into this field? It's, It's interesting. Every audiologist I've met has some form of very specific or personal journey into hearing loss, whether on into audiology, sorry, into audiological work, whether that's a family member who had many years or whether that's suffering with their own personal journey with hearing loss, or they had surgery as a kid and that therefore throughout their, on their ears, I mean, had surgery as a, on their ears as a child and that's informed their journey kind of into audiology. Everyone has their own personal journey, but I think it's, it's, um, yeah, I'm I'm the only person in my clinic who wears hearing aids. Mm. 
mm. you know, across all the staff. And you know, even though everyone has their personal journey, it's it is interesting to see the different kinds of conversation quite simply naturally just because i've had a different journey from some of my colleagues it's amazing to see the different kinds of conversations that happen with me and a patient yeah. compared to one of my colleagues with a patient and you know mm -hmm. everyone brings their own personal journey into that i'd say you know I, I have met audiologists with hearing loss there are certainly you know professionals out there who do wear hearing aids and obviously that's just another level of how you manage your clinic and how you manage your kind of communication with patients and in some instances that is obviously really really beneficial you know if, mm. if um and i think where that applies for me is um you know when when i first when i first encountered hearing loss was with my very first drum kit teacher so at the age of eight or nine I think I had my first lesson, proper lesson. And um, my drum kit teacher, he already wore hearing aids. Now he was much, much older than me. He was probably 55, something like that at the time when he started teaching me. So to see this guy who was much older, I really couldn't, who wore hearing aids, I really couldn't relate to that. And I think where this you know, comes in for me is that at 24, I want to be having conversations with people who are either in music college, thinking about music college, recently graduated from music college and being that a figure who can be relatable because, you know, as an eight year old looking to a 55 year old, it's like, oh, I'll never get there. Mm. <laughs> yeah. But for someone who can say simply because my hearing was probably, there's probably a little bit of hearing since I was born. Um, hearing loss since I was born and music has exacerbated that slightly mm. for me and I've probably just been a little bit more sensitive to noise in terms of my ears and my hearing organ and all that sort of stuff I've just been more sensitive to noise over that course of time I have developed a hearing loss in a way that my peers haven't yet but I hope that you know that that journey and those individual journeys can mean that conversation can happen more easily about hearing loss with young people because I, I'm I'm talking about this as if I'm the only person I'm definitely not <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> lots and lots of young people are you know we live in a very very noisy world that's another thing to mention you know the noise the world is getting noisier and noisier and there is less less and less opportunity for your ears to recover and the pandemic is an interesting anomaly in that i think a lot of people have found it quite disconcerting the the kind you know the amount of either time you're spent you you are spending with one other or just with yourself and then there's obviously the, those own complications but um yeah i think we live in an incredibly noisy world and that has its own part to play as well so i hope that i can be um relatable for people mm. who who are kind of more our age as as well as those who are already in the industry and having these concerns for the first time further down in their career this is just fascinating what you're saying and i i mean i'm just imagining people who as you say walk into your clinic and are experiencing something for the first time <laughs> experiencing this for the first time and do encounter you who is, who is very open about your own experience. And you're right, there is just this kind of, I can imagine there would just be this understanding 
that would transcend kind of anything practical that is needed in these kind of clinical situations where everything does feel very scientific. But actually what you're saying is because of your own experience, you can bring this sort of personal connection level empathy I hope so. No, it's quite funny because um, so one, I, I am currently whilst studying, I'm on a 0.6 contract with work doing my kind of uh, admin assistant work. And then I'm doing the university side of stuff two days a week. And on one of those two days, I go into clinic and I observe I observe my my colleagues. So the whole practice has been open throughout the whole of the pandemic. Um, oh, great. It's okay. just been a growing, a growing, growing from a f- almost fully furloughed workforce to to kind of skeleton staff. And now we've nearly got everyone back. So that's obviously a good sign. Um, but you know, so me getting to observe my colleagues once a week, and let's say I'm observing a hearing aid fitting appointment. So we've ordered in these hearing aids, and we're, the client is going to try them for the first time. And, um, you know, they've got their concerns, or was it too big, or we're looking in the mirror. And I really love that there's this mutual understanding between me and the audiologist that towards the end of the appointment, we're going to ask if if that patient has realised if that I'm wearing hearing aids. Because mm. most of the time they haven't. Mm. Most of the time they haven't at all. And I think, you know, thinking more about kind of the world of audiology and hearing aids rather than music and kind of hearing protection. There is this stigma around, oh, a hearing aid. I don't want to be like that guy who's 85 who wears a massive chunky thing behind their (laughs) ear and it's going to be so obvious to everyone and they have to grow my hair long and all the sort of stuff. I I have very short hair now. (laughs) Um, But yeah, most of the time, most patients, you know, and that's regardless of whether or not they are 17 or they're 65, you know, whatever, um, they, most of the time they don't realise I'm wearing them. And that is obviously a good sign in terms of not only patients feeling comfortable wearing them, but also knowing that they're, they're doing their job. I've been fully involved in that appointment and yeah. then I can, I can just turn around and be like, okay, and here is what they look like on a real life human being. And I can turn <laughs> around and then show them, show them what they look like on me. Cause that's, that is, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting facet of, of an appointment, which, which is um, nice to be a part of. That's, that's for sure. Yeah, I bet. I would just now, cause we, you know, we've sort of, touched on it so many times can we talk about your transition into audiology so you did this third year dissertation um can you kind of explain from that point what happened yeah of course of course so I mean doing that dissertation which uh, I called it kind of an exploration of noise-induced hearing loss for aspiring musicians and um I faced a little bit of a backlash from some members of staff at first. They were like, oh, be careful, Matthew. Uh, tread tread carefully. That was what one person, member of staff said to me. You don't know what you're getting yourself into. Tread carefully. I was like, oh, right. And so that obviously, you know, me being me, just made me want to do it more. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, so I discovered through that dissertation that basically we have a generation of musicians at this point in time who are working professionally and are teaching a new generation of players, but who quite simply don't factor in having conversations about hearing loss to their practice. 
at any point. You know, I can literally count on one finger the number of times someone from the department brought up in a group context the idea of hearing loss. So, you know, whether or not that is going all the way back down to youth music, all the way through the collegiate system, um, you know, hearing loss is taboo. That's that's probably what my dissertation found. It was that people don't know how to talk about hearing loss. And I think after that dissertation, obviously, I'd kind of assumed that me doing it was was more about my personal journey. And I was really interested in this. And obviously, you, I wanted to do a dissertation that really really fascinated me who wants to write ten thousand words on something that isn't interesting to them you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so yeah that that was where that that came from but after that point thoughts about audiology and about musicians with hearing loss just didn't go away basically and i <laughs> so i would say that for any person i, I know to, you, you've mentioned in the past as well that there is there is kind of a stigma in the industry about potentially kind of uh, you know packing it all up, throwing it away. Oh, you're not cut out for music, so you go and do your other course or whatever. And I just I couldn't I couldn't disagree with that more. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, you know I, I fundamentally believe that people should use their skill sets in the way that not only best benefits them, but, but best benefits those around them, you know, absolutely. And I was incredibly blessed to have a timpani professor at Guildhall who could not have been more supportive and more encouraged at the idea that me as an individual could bring a different perspective at a kind of conjunction of music and audiology mm. and so there was there were all these conversations happening and I'm like oh I keep on getting these thoughts about audiology kind of you know every other week and then it was every other day and then it was multiple times a day and I, <laughs> so I was on summer holiday with some friends we were doing a kind of backpacking trip around Morocco this is a it sounds like a tangent but it's not I promise <laughs> um and i got to cut a long story short i got incredibly ill i ate some i ate some bad street meat i'm a veggie now but i ate some bad street meat and i was uh you know i was very very ill for about 10 days and so while all of my friends are out exploring the country you know doing all this and that stuff i was sat in hotel rooms like recovering <laughs> basically That's and awful. so when you're on when you <laughs> but when you're on your own and you get a lot of time to think about things, um, I, during that time, realised that this wasn't just a fleeting fantasy. Audiology mm -hmm. was quite literally something that I was thinking about. I was researching how to study it. I was researching for potential jobs. And I was like, flipping it. This is not what I, it, this wasn't even on my radar a mm -hmm. year ago. You know, and all of a sudden I was thinking, uh, this is this is what I want to be doing but then as I know you, you've mentioned this in a few podcasts with others as well then you suddenly think well wait a second what are other people going to think mm. are other people going to think oh Matt has just decided music isn't for him uh he's just going to go and do something else that those were my fears and those were my anxiety and I think all my advice can be as someone who has 
felt so over, overwhelmingly supported, not only by teachers and family, but by friends as well. Friends at college, you know, the group of people that I surrounded myself with were just so excited for this possibility that, that I was going to go and do something I was really, really passionate about. And it wasn't that, I'd say for any person who is considering a kind of a change in what they would call their primary occupation, it isn't you leaving music. Mm. It is you bringing your identity to an industry, to the music industry. Because I realised that I could I could be a very good musician if I worked very very hard at it. Continued to work very hard. At it. You know, I was I knew that it was through hard work that I was. You know, I I kind of I did well in my final recital. I got you know I did well in the overall course of my degree. I you know, was really really proud of that and no one could have said oh Matt gave up music because he wasn't very good because I got a kind of I, I did very well uh, got a first and a concert recital diploma but I, I knew that was through hard work and mm. so whilst I realized I could I could be a very good musician if I continued to work hard I realized that I could do a heck of a lot of good for musicians from an audiological capacity and then it became a question of well what can only i do and i think that was the key question for me it was i can be a very good musician and i can do a lot of good for audiology from a for, sorry for musicians from an audiological perspective but what can only i do and what are the thoughts that aren't going away and it was this pulling it was just this ever so gradual kind of pulling towards audiology knowing that i wanted to pour my hard work in audiology into the benefit of the music industry and that's that's where that that transition has occurred really you know i it's it's happened so wonderfully and very smoothly <laughs> in a lot of ways in a lot of ways which you know i was not expecting when i first started i thought i was going to have a have a you know a really difficult time finding finding training and finding work and how on earth is someone going to see this orchestral percussion degree as translatable to a nine to five office yeah. job and all that sort of stuff but people are out there who want people who care I think that is such mm. a key thing. If you care about what you are going into, mm. even if it looks to others like a sideward step or a, a change of direction, you will find the place. It, it's amazing to be able to say to yourself, I found a place where I can, I can bring what only I can bring. And I think that's the key thing for, for musicians who feel like they are, considering a sideward step considering something that feels like a change in direction it's that question of what can only you do mm. i think that is yeah. just so i mean just put it so beautifully i think and i love this i mean maybe it wouldn't be the same for everyone but the fact that it was so kind of smooth it's just testament to how it was what it is what you're meant to be doing you know what i mean mm. and i think there's mm. there's a lot to be said for that if something feels natural and it feels like things fit into place 
absolutely you know there's not a lot of you that can sort of say that it's not the right thing to to be doing Mm, but um mm. in terms of in terms of kind of the transition itself are you still practicing percussion at all is that something that's still part of your life or how do you feel like you've put that aside music will never leave my life no Mm. absolutely um you know I love it too much for it not to be a part of my life you so music will always be a part of my life I think it's fair to say that audiology is here to stay yeah you know that's 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 fair to say you know and I have no problems with someone making that kind of assumption about me but particularly in in a pandemic world you know I I will continue to do kind of uh semi-professional stuff i will continue to do gigs as and when they come Mm. in i'll continue to get involved in community projects because that is what i just adored doing and you know if if the right opportunity came along to to continue to do some teaching i mean most of my degree i i I did kind of teaching for for mostly young kids on on drum kit or percussion and i just loved it i just absolutely adored it and so you know if the right opportunities came up in those senses I would go for them wholeheartedly. But what I do know is that if professional work came up, I would offer those onto my colleagues who Mm. music is their full-time job. Music is their primary source of income. And that is, um, so that's, that's the, the big shift in terms of what my musical life would look like. Obviously it's, it's, you know, everyone's musical life is different in, in the pandemic at the moment. Um, either that or completely non-existent in terms of gigs and everything else but um one thing that is really nice I, I don't think I've said this yet um so Harley Street Hearing um is a partnership with the Musicians Hearing Services so my role is not only Harley Street Hearing dealing with hearing aids it's also the Musicians Hearing Services work uh, and we are seeing more and more musicians making applications trying to come in through something called the Musicians Hearing Health Scheme, um, which I'm sure I'll go more into later, but um, we're seeing more and more people preparing for their gigs, <laughs> which is great. So that's a great sign that the industry is is coming back. But no, absolutely. Um, it's music, music will forever be a part of my life, but the interesting transition is that I my music is for for joy it is it is for joy it would never wasn't for joy but um it it isn't my primary source of income now and that is where i will you know if i was to get anything you know coming straight out of the pandemic i'd be like so grateful for this but here is someone i recommend because Mm. this is someone who needs this work right now so it's an interesting transition in terms of changing your professional identity because obviously we've spoken a lot about the personal kind of identity stuff, but your professional identity, if you do take uh, a change in direction um, in terms of your career, it's, it's a shift as well. So, and it's, it's something that, that some people find much, much harder than, than others in terms of just the whole, the whole music industry is about, Oh, I've got to make sure I'm doing three gigs a week. And it's actually yeah. quite hard to shift that mentality. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was going to ask, so, you know, has there been any kind of grief in that, you know, going to the guild hall, you are assuming in a way that you want to be a professional percussionist. You know, has there been any grief 
that you are passing these things on or it sounds to me like you're quite joyful to be able to pass on a job to someone that needs it but is there a sense of sort of grief? I think that's because it provides joy for the people I pass it on to. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, I'd say that because I know I am doing something that that does ultimately feel right for me. It feels like the best expression of myself and my best way of helping others, mm. whether that be ordinary patients or musicians. I can speak joyfully about this change, this change in, in profession. But um, there, I think there were a couple of comments from, you know, even, even members of family who were like, oh, it's such a shame. You'll never quite, you'll never play that professional gig again, will you? And I'm like, well, you don't know that. <laughs> yeah, my old change uh, still. Yeah, and so I mean, I think it's just that when you know, if if it's a long-term friend or if it's a teacher who you had and has been rooting for you since you started with them from a very early age, or you know, whatever situation someone finds themselves in, someone who cares for you deeply in that capacity, whether it's family, friends, teachers, whatever, will always ask you if if you feel you're doing the right thing and sometimes mm. if it's not worded right if it if it is poorly worded it will sound like someone thinks you're making a bad decision and maybe mm. that's me giving people the benefit of the doubt maybe, <laughs> maybe people <laughs> like you know um oh are you sure that you're you're doing the right thing for the music industry oh it's such a shame that the music industry will lose you that's one thing that was said to me it's mm. such a shame that what? you're not going to be you're not going to be providing music and joy for people in concert halls anymore. And I'm like, comes back to this role of what only, what can only you do? And I'm like, there are so many professional percussionists and aspiring musicians who I Mm. adore and respect. And I know that they will also bring joy. None of them have (laughs) have the relationship with hearing aids and audiology, which I've personally had. And that is why I can entrust this situation and I think there there is something to be said about about giving people time to come on board if you are finding that that a member of the family let's say let's say someone this isn't this isn't my my experience but I'm just an idea that's come to my head let's say you're you were supported through a musical education whether that's at Cheatham's or another school from a very early age and then you go straight into music college and your family have supported you in every way shape or form and then you decide that actually it's time to do something different for whatever reason that might be your whoever has supported you through that however long 15 years of music education is going to be asking why yeah. <laughs> there they are and and there might be anger there might be resentment there might be you know real kind of distrust of your choices in some instances but i think particularly from the scare of that initial conversation with whoever that might be of, I think I want to go down a different direction to the conversation a year down the line where someone goes, I can see why you've made that choice. Mm -hmm. And it's nice to have seen you develop. They might not always be positive conversations, but there is something to be said for allowing people time to come on board. Mm. Um, It's a real risk though yeah it is it is Mm. and I think it's about the the hardest thing is having those conversations with integrity 
Mm. Because if you are feel pressured by someone, if you aren't 100% sure, all those sorts of things, it's, it's about having those conversations with integrity and knowing that the person you're having that conversation with has your best interests at heart and isn't doing a kind of a musical personal vanity project. I mean, that's obviously a very, very horrible thing to say. I don't think that most people do that. But, no, but, I know, get it. Yeah. But it's, yeah, there's, there is something to be said about, about allowing those people who support you the time to absorb your change of direction yeah. that you know is right for you. Yeah, that's a really kind of kind kind way to put it actually no, I, I like to see the tempting. best in people <laughs> yeah it's tempting to sort of bulldoze over any sort of re- sort of negative feedback you might get but you're right it's just natural you know it's just if people have put so much into this idea of you it is going to take mm. time for them to witness the shift and the and to see you come alive in a different way and I think yeah absolutely. yeah you're you're so you're so right that yeah it's it does take time not Mm. that I know but Mm. I think it it sounds perfectly reasonable to say it in that way yeah yeah Yeah. and what I'd really like to talk about now which I think you're probably going to be very good at giving us guidance on is musicians hearing itself um yeah (laughs) I can just tell you're ready (laughs) Uh (laughs) so ready um so questions are well, let's start with, you know, what kinds of hearing loss might musicians experience specifically? Mm. The next question being, um, oh, hang on, what was the next question? <laughs> well, we can start with that one, basically. Yeah, and, sure. Yeah. So, I mean, hearing loss can manifest itself in, in different ways. And I think, you know, there's there's all sorts of different different types and whether or not that's kind of sensory neural so that's uh, a hearing loss that affects your sensory organ um, or whether that's conductive which is where there's kind of a discrepancy between this inputting the sound that is coming into your ear compared to what is translated to the brain mm-hmm. or you know there are lots of different forms within that as well so you've got everything going on and that's obviously what the world of audiology is for it's it's having an expertise in the myriad ways that that hearing loss can manifest itself in a person and the reasons why now one of the most common forms of of hearing loss for musicians or for those who are surrounded by sound that is high energy a lot is something called noise-induced hearing loss or nihl um now it it obviously differs in in many many different people uh particularly in terms of severity you know it's it can range from a mild to a profound loss and it's the other thing to say is that hearing loss is progressive it it naturally deteriorates over time so you know if you're you'll inevitably have it with your great great grandmother who struggles to hear every word you're saying and that's quite natural even if she's had no history of hearing loss throughout her life it's just that her sensory organs uh, of hearing has naturally deteriorated Mm. over time so because there is this natural deterioration it's even more paramount that we as musicians who rely on our hearing for communication interpretation you know and just 
having that enjoyment of music as well for our, for our audiences and on our own personal level it's about preserving the hearing that we have and um one thing that uh my my uh, one of my colleagues mr paul chuckley uh said in an, in an interview with help musicians uk a while ago is uh hearing loss is 100 percent 100 irreversible and 100% preventable. So noise-induced hearing loss is 100% irreversible and 100% preventable. So this is why I think in terms of musicians not talking about hearing loss is can be a really damaging thing. And it's because we don't know how to. It's not being mm. modelled around us by our teachers or our industries or our colleges. Um, and it can have a, the priority for me as a you know, future or training audiologist is to protect your hearing as a musician to prolong your career and to increase and improve your health. Because obviously hearing loss can uh, have, it's not only your hearing that will be impacted, it's your uh, connection with others. It can yeah. contribute to feelings of isolation. It can. There are studies at the moment that are linking hearing loss with early onset dementia. There are, you know, obviously, I haven't even mentioned tinnitus yet, but tinnitus is something mm. that we see a lot of musicians for. Instead of you've gone to that, uh, you know, that loud gig, or you've gone to a club a couple of nights in a row, and you've had this buzzing or ringing in your ear, and it's been three days now, and it hasn't gone away. And sometimes that just changes over time and it will just go away and other times it might not. Now that doesn't necessarily mean you've got a hearing loss. Uh, obviously I'm just bringing a personal story rather than a, a qualified professional audiological because <laughs> I'm not one yet. Um, but I can, uh, I can certainly help. So musicians, noise induced hearing loss is, is the most common form of query we have but there are lots and lots of other ways that audiological issues can manifest mm. in musicians wow and i mean moving on from that is the question of what can we do i mean you've spoken about this hearing mm. health scheme yeah i yep. briefly researched a few days ago yeah yep. which i honestly i think i've heard a few people kind of whispering about it but Actually, what's on offer through that is pretty amazing. And I'm quite ashamed that I didn't take it up. Well, take up there's, you know. there's no shame in it if you didn't know about it. <laughs> yeah. So you're you know, going to enlighten us now. What, what's the deal? Yeah. <laughs> that's fine. So the Musician Hearing Health Scheme uh, is something that's run in conjunction with uh, us at Harley Street Hearing with the audiological provider. And, but the main scheme is run through Help Musicians UK in partnership with the Musicians Union. And the whole idea of that scheme is to make audiological well-being not only something that, that that patients are aware of, that musicians are aware of, but also to make it their priority and also to make it financially financially viable. So if you are accepted onto the scheme uh, and you can apply for the scheme, um, there's, there's a website. It's called Here for Musicians, H-E-A-R, Here for Musicians. Uh, and then you just apply through their forms on there. Um, and essentially what that does is if you are accepted onto the scheme, uh, then you get a full audiometric evaluation. So that's about £100 and custom made hearing protection, which is between 140 and £160. So that's £260 worth of stuff in total 
for a total cost of £40 or £30 if you're an MU member. So it's simply about raising awareness and also obviously you know, Help Musicians UK, who have obviously been doing a lot in terms of their Musicians Hardship Fund, particularly this year, mm. you know, all that sort of stuff. Uh, they are aware that in a lot of circumstances, musicians don't have that those kind of funds. Yeah. yeah. What are the sort of um, criteria to be accepted onto the scheme? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the Musicians Hearing Health Scheme, in order to have a successful application, you need to be able to prove that the majority of your income comes through musical means. So you need to have been working in the music industry for at least two years and the majority of your income needs to come through musical means. Now, it is about provide. There obviously needs to be a cutoff point in terms of what your job is. So, for instance, if you are a social media manager for musicians, your job is social media. Your job isn't being a professional musician. So mm. that that's just an, an example I've plucked off the top of my head. But this is about empowering musicians and those who work with musicians in the music industry as professionals to enhance their audiological care so it's primarily aimed you know people like sound engineers it's primarily aimed at djs it's primarily aimed at orchestral or pop pop groups or anything along those lines people who are earning the majority of their income through musical means are likely to get accepted into this scheme Mm. So because I was sort of not concerned, but wondering when you said, you know, if you're accepted, I sort of thought, oh, do you have to suspect you have a hearing problem? Do you? But there's none of that. No, 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 absolutely not. No, no, no. So, um, yeah, you you don't have to have any hearing history of hearing loss. This is just empowering you with knowledge about your hearing. That's the outcome, really. Amazing. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So the only other the only other thing to mention is that obviously it would be worth you applying for anyone who's listening to, to your podcast who is currently studying music it, as whether or not that's at university or, or, you know, in earlier years, it would be worth you applying after you graduate because okay. help musicians UK. Um, if you are a student currently studying music, it is likely not that please do continue to apply because it's not this is just me giving some forewarning. It's not ne- definitely going to be the case. But if you're currently studying music, the likelihood is that the primary source of your income is going to be student finance. Mm. So that's where you need to provide evidence. And there are opportunities during that application process to provide kind of four or more p- pieces of evidence that show you have earned the majority of your income through being a professional musician i see okay or working professionally in the music industry if that makes sense so even if people you know either are don't find that they're eligible for the scheme or whatever what can musicians do to protect hearing on a day-to-day basis yeah so the key thing for me is about understanding why hearing loss takes place Mm. So the this is all guiding towards a conversation about hearing protection, which I know is an incredibly divisive <laughs> um, <laughs> topic for a lot of musicians. Um, and the crux of it being is that hearing protection isn't all that bad. And I'm going to explain why. <laughs> but um, <laughs> essentially, hearing loss takes place over time. And it's all about the amount of time you expose yourself to what is called excessive noise volumes over a 24 hour period. Mm. 
So the control of noise at work regulations, which is a 2005 EU GB law, basically, is the law that puts in place what a workplace should be doing in order to protect its its workers hearing. And that states that 85 decibels is the level at which we should start to be concerned about the possibility of permanent hearing damage. So 85 dB, which is about the equivalent of standing next to a blender, if that makes sense. Right, yeah. You can stand next to a blender for eight hours, so the equivalent of a working day. So nine to five, eight hours, and that 85 dB, you are not going to experience any hearing loss. But if you go beyond that, so if you have 85 dB exposure for nine hours, there's the potential risk that you could develop a hearing loss. Now, this hearing loss scale is logarithmic. So that means that for every three decibels that we add to that total, we halve the amount of time that it's safe for our ears to be exposed to that volume of noise. Wow. Is that making sense? Yeah. As in, I've worded that okay. Yeah, good, good, yeah, good. that's a lot, um, yeah, though. That's so, like a big... Absolutely. So mm. we get to 88 dB, and we can listen to that level of volume, that level of noise for four hours before hearing damage. And then, obviously, it goes on. 91, two hours, 94, one hour, 97. You know, until we get down to the point where you know, you're reaching 100 plus dB, and you can... You can listen to it for about 15 minutes and then you've got a risk that there's going to be some kind of permanent noise damage going on. That in itself is obviously should be ringing alarm bells for musicians because you, know, you think about any kind of West End musical, you think about any kind of symphony performance and you are easily going to be in that performance space for three hours, let's say with an interval maybe but you are exposing yourself to a high volume of noise for well well over that 15 minutes that these this this control of noise at work regulation stuff is telling you is safe so it's worth pointing out at this point that the the double bass is the only instrument orchestral instrument that doesn't kind of peak in terms of volume above 100 dB. A mm. piccolo, on the other hand, will will quite easily top levels of 110 and push up to 120. So you've you've really all of a sudden you'll get you're being told, ah, I can only expose myself for a few seconds to that noise. And that isn't manageable. It isn't feasible for musicians. Not only are obviously people um you know doing the gig but they've also done six hours of rehearsals beforehand Mm. and so all of a sudden you're building this picture of an industry where not only are we not talking about hearing loss but it's actually pretty likely that we're going to be doing damage to our hearing on a semi-regular basis at least so this is where obviously the world of hearing protection and also just being knowledgeable about when you choose to expose your hearing to those kind of levels of sound is is really really uh you know, worthwhile so one of the things that i spoke with with evelyn glennie um 
back doing my dissertation, she described them as sound meals, uh, which is quite cute. So you have so many meals a day. Now you're not going to keep on eating and eating and eating because you know, at some point you're going to get sick. You need to give your ears a break. You need to give your ears time to recover. And there is such a thing as ear fatigue. And that's basically what, what's being described there. So I do, I'm sure people, uh, maybe even yourself as well, Hattie, you might have been in recording projects. So you've got kind of headphones on in the studio and you say about two hours into the rehearsal, oh, can you just um, up my levels for me a bit? And uh, yeah, okay. So and by the end of the rehearsal, you go home and you come in the next day for the second day of that recording session, you put the headphones on and you're like, oh my goodness, this music is so loud. Can you turn it down? Can you turn it Mm. down? And the sound engineer says to you, well, that's the level it was at at the end of yesterday. So it's ear fatigue is also something that can happen. And one way of obviously preventing that is giving yourself a break. So for instance, if you have had an hour and a half's rehearsal Obviously, there's the potential of wearing hearing protection during that time. But if you've chosen not to do that, go and give yourself some time for your ears to recover. Whether or not that's just being in a quiet space or at the end of your long day, just not having music on in the background on your speaker kind of thing. You need to give your ears, just like you do any muscle after a workout, you need to give that time to recover. And then obviously there's the world of hearing protection. Now, hearing protection, like the kind of things you'd get on the Musician's Hearing Health Scheme, is something custom made for you. Now, everyone, when they think of hearing protection, has this idea of kind of, you know, those horrible spongy foam plugs that you shove in your ear and they never stay in and, you know, oh, I can't hear anything. And therefore, people don't try. People don't use them. Now, going down the custom made route allows you to not only have more comfort, but also more uh, kind of connection with those around you. So custom made hearing protection like you'd get on the musician's hearing health scheme comes with a filter, a filter level, and you can change that level from something quite low. So a 10 dB attenuation. So something that cuts out 10 decibels worth of sound all the way up to 27. So 27 decibels worth of cutting. And let's say that you are using a middle of the range. So 17 decibel filter, Now, if your symphony that you are rehearsing for those first three hours in the morning, you know, 10 till one or something like that. And let's say it's a Shostakovich, like Shostakovich five, something big, big orchestral sound. You're easily going to be experiencing a lot of sound in that time. Now, if you use hearing protection, let's say that the Shostakovich is playing at 100 decibels. By putting in your custom protection with that 17 decibels worth of attenuation, you're bringing it down to 83. And that level is safe for you to be in for eight hours. Mm. It's about knowing when to protect your hearing and when really and truly are those moments that actually I don't want to be wearing my hearing protection here. So that might be the gig itself, but it might not be when you're practicing your scales in the practice room when you warm up. So it's about making clever decisions over when to prioritize your, your hearing. Um, I think it's the best advice that I can give, you know, be, be savvy, be really savvy because you're hearing, you're the only person with your hearing. It's yours to protect. It's in your best interests as a musician as well to, to protect your hearing to an 
what's the word I'm looking for, to prolong your career for as long as possible. I think people do kind of think about hearing protection. It's sort of like eye roll. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. (laughs) I I don't know if you've experienced anything with with music teachers along those lines. But, you know, I've had had multiple experiences um, where, you know, I've had one teacher when I was very young doing doing advice auditions at the at the various colleges and I was wearing my hearing protection for this snare drum stuff that I was doing and the guy said um oh take out take out your take those things out you can't hear the instrument properly and because I was so scared I was so scared of this dude as a 17 year old I did what he said Mm. but I I knew that my ears were in pain I absolutely knew that I this wasn't comfortable for me personally. Mm. It just wasn't comfortable for me, but you, you can't do that if you're looking mm. up to a person. And that's why I think it's so important that for us as a generation of recent graduates, whether we are teaching, whether we are um, you know, in a concert hall or in a rehearsal room, we are modeling and teaching a new generation of players those people who are younger than us about the awareness of hearing loss as being a musician it's so important that we harbor a way of people feeling comfortable to talk about to talk about that that potential risk because i don't think it's it's any malicious intent by those above us i, I don't i don't say that don't mean that at all it's just that these aren't conversations these people were having when they were at college yeah we need to be building a generation of players who are aware who are aware of the fact that they're you know going to be exposing themselves from the age of whatever it might have been me for example hitting drum kit cymbals from the age of eight and i've got hearing loss at 17 Hmm. you know there there is a risk there and i don't think One of my favourite lines from my (laughs) from my dissertation um, was that you know music is the only profession where we don't get told about the risks before we start. So, for instance, a construction worker walks onto a construction site. They've been told that you need to wear a helmet (laughs) because of the risk. No one is going to let you walk onto that to that construction site without your helmet on or without your high vis jacket on. But we are quite happy to sit four-year-olds behind a drum kit or starting to play, you know, whatever it might be, you know, violin or, or starting their opera training at the age of eight, ten. And they're like, yeah, just go. Just do yeah. your thing. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a good point. That's so, such yeah, a good point. We have such a role to play and it is such a, you know, a privileged position to be in that we can genuinely benefit through such simple ways of of saying to our students you know this bit is a little bit loud so if you want to put your overhead head headphones on that is totally cool i'm going to do the same you know just by having those little conversations with whether or not they're seven or 15 or whatever um we can have be in such an amazing and privileged position to make that conversation normal and we as teachers have no idea have absolutely no idea if that could be life-changing for that person as a musician further down mm, the line. Exactly. It's not worth the risk to ignore it. To ignore it would be, to, would be um, well, not, not stupid, but to ignore, to ignore it would be like sticking your head in the sand yeah. because our hearing does deteriorate. 
And we have an opportunity to slow that down. And Evan Glennie um, said to me, our, our profession is all about communication. And if we, can't, if we can't communicate with each other, how on earth do we expect to communicate with our audiences? Yeah. Yeah. Because it's the same with, you know, the sort of bullying that goes on or the mental health problems yeah. that go on. And no one mm. realises that you know, these are things we can't talk about with each other. So how are we expecting yeah. our audience to want to connect with us if we oh, you're so put right. this barrier between us and them, you know? Absolutely. But it's but been... Not even just between us and them, but us and each mm. other. Yeah. You know, we need to uphold each other. And yeah, one, one other thing, obviously is that in if you're in rehearsals or if you are in a practice room or if you're in a concert or anything as i said earlier the the person with the hearing loss is going to be the last person to notice mm-hmm. so obviously handle it sensitively because it might be something that the person's aware of but it also might not be and as musicians we're obviously very very sensitive about our hearing about our ears we care deeply about it but if you have a, a suspicion or you have a concern that someone isn't hearing things in the way they should be, it's worth handling that. Just go, go to them one-on-one um, if you feel comfortable doing so. Just to say, you know, I, I don't want to alarm you. This isn't something to be alarmed by, but I just think you might, it might be worth you getting your hearing tested we we look out for each other we obviously have to look out for our own hearing as well and that's that's the whole hearing protection side of things um but the the best thing you can do is is be be someone who looks out for your section be someone who looks out for your uh your your peers your the people on your course your friends whoever it might be you know and and that's that's a a truly valuable thing that you can do for someone else that, that could be career changing and can be really, really uh, empowering as well. Cause I stand here as a musician who's one hearing aids from the age of 17. And I'm here to tell you that it's possible. I didn't need to take a sidestep out of, out of music. It was something that I felt called to, but it wasn't fundamentally because of my hearing loss that I, that I chose not to be a musician. Wow, Matt, you have been so kind to share all this with us. And I'm sure, well, I'm sure people are just going to be completely grateful for this kind of wake up call. And that's genuinely what it is, because I think it is very serious and something we have ignored for so long. And just thank you from the bottom of my heart for sharing everything. Thank you so much for facilitating a space where people, people can bring their experiences and bring the things that they don't feel are, are heard. Um, well, it's because every, every episode is, you know, obviously highlighting something new and something important. Oh, thank you. That means a lot. <laughs> but thank you so much. Lovely to talk to you oh, today. You're welcome. You too. You too.